Check one, two. Can you hear yourself? Check one, two. Taco. 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 Oh, hey, fam. Hello. You're listening. Oh, Mark, how are you, buddy? Hey, good. We're the Mix and Master Faster podcast, and uh, we exist for one reason, one reason only. It's to help you mix and master faster. That's probably pretty self-explanatory. We're a very limited podcast in the scope of things that we discuss. Oh, we're trying to be goofy and weird and have fun with this crap. So today, we have a very exciting ninja skill to talk about that could potentially change your life as an uh, audio engineer. Most of us are probably already doing some level of hotkeys and shortcuts and all that stuff. We're going to talk about how to, how to kick that up a notch, how to be able to hit multiple hotkeys with one button. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Mark, tell us about hotkeys and how they work in your workflow. I love this topic. So I taught an entire month-long course on puremix.net about this for Pro Tools. Mm. So it was not related to let's learn how to mix better. It was just 100% about how can you be a, a Pro Tools ninja just going as fast as you possibly can. There's a lot of just kind of, and this is true with any DAW, it doesn't matter. There's a lot of overlooked shortcuts and just general things about the application that sometimes don't really sink in when you're going through because you never run across them. So in relation to that one, it was all about let's take a deep dive into all of the shortcuts that are available, but also let's go a little bit further than just your regular command plus a key shortcut. Let's look into these things called quick keys. And then let's talk about things that are possible beyond what's built into the DAW and go from there, see how we can speed up the workflow. Yeah, man. So I love that. When I first started struggling with the amount of work that I had in the studio, my right hand, it just gets so sore yeah. from using a mouse all day long Right. that eventually I was like, oh, this isn't working and I can't use a mouse with my left hand, but I can use a trackpad with my left hand. Hmm. So I switched over. At one point, I was like all trackpad because once my right hand stopped working, I could move to my left hand. Right. And it was so dumb. It was so dumb. I, I think when you're doing that much work, when you're in a situation where, where speed matters because you have so much work and you're trying not to compromise the quality of your work, you really got to stop using the mouse. Right. You got to find ways where... Your left hand is hovering over the keyboard mm -hmm. and your right hand is hovering over the mouse or the trackpad or the whatever you happen to use. And you're using them in, in, in conjunction and you're doing these like uh, Kill Bill. What's the punch? That oh, he does? yeah. <laughs> the monkey claw or something yeah. like that. Like, well, there's yeah. the monkey claw and then there's like the, the two-step death punch or some stuff. Right. Or like she does it and if you take two steps, your heart explodes and you die. Right. But right. so long as you stay still, you'll stay alive. Yeah. And yeah, it's this weird thing where she like takes her fingers and is like, oh, you don't get, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> she's like twisting her fingers in a weird way. And when you watch a really talented audio engineer, that's sort of what it looks like. Right. They're like, ah, mm, mm, mm. and they're like <laughs> contorting their hand in weird ways to be like, you know, control, option, command, shift, return, L, F1, and F7 all at the same time does something. Right. And so they're like contorting their hand to do that. And while that I think is, level one here is that you get dope at hotkeys and you can sit down and make your DAW run considerably faster. Mm -hmm. I think it gets a lot more exciting and a lot more efficient when you begin to program your own hotkeys 
using a, a third-party app like Keyboard Maestro or uh, Better Touch Tools mm -hmm. is one. There's a whole different. There's a whole lot of different ways that you can do this. There's even some ways you can do it on a Mac built right into OS X. It's yeah. not quite as solid as these other third-party tools. But when you can start to, to figure out, like, okay, when I want to fade out on a track, that means I have to contort my hand in this way to push those buttons, and I hope I hit them all at the same time. If I want to fade in on a track, it's like the opposite move, and there's just an awful lot of movement with your hand. Yeah. And it takes a long time, I think, to develop that sort of, what do you call it, wrist like acrobatics it's it's muscle memory too it's just like yeah. things become a it's second nature your hand just starts flying around the keyboard and you're doing these things really without putting any thought into it which is where you want to be yeah but once you kind of have that knowledge and you're you have even the self-awareness because when it becomes second nature you're very clear on i did this step plus this step plus this step if i stop i could automate that and chain that yeah. together yeah, yeah. there's a number of steps that you do all together in a row frequently you can use better touch tools or keyboard maestro or a bunch of other tools to just be like, hey, when, like, so let me back up. What I have been a massive fan of for like the better part of a decade here is, you know, we're looking at my keyboard for my iMac. And this is like my OG keyboard from the mastering studio from, you know, it's my last keyboard. And there's all these labels stuck to it. So all the F keys have labels mm. with a name printed on it. And what I became a really big fan of doing, it was like, I don't really use my F keys that often. There's a function within OSX where you can, you can make it so that you can reassign those F keys to other things. Stop calling me that. <laughs> <laughs> and so what I did is I took a label maker and better touch tools, and I would you know, connect these big, long scripts to each one of my F keys. So when I was like, okay, I'm done with this session, I want the next session to open up automatically. F1 has the word approve written on it. And when I would hit approve, all these different things would happen inside my computer and it would save it and move it and mark, it, mark the session as a different color and then move it to a new folder. And then it would figure out what the next session that was due that day was because I had a folder for every day of the week yeah. and everything that was due on each day was in each folder. And so it would know, oh, well, this is due today, so we're going to open up this one. And da -da -da -da. So I'd hit approve and instead of moving my mouse around for two minutes and trying to click on a bunch of stuff and figure out what I need to do next, it was mindless. It's just click, and yeah. then the next session would open up. I don't think many people are hip to how insane you can get a hotkey. Yeah. There's all kinds of wild and crazy you know, tricks that you can do. You mentioned a piece of software that you use earlier. Yeah, it's called Soundflow, and it's just completely changing things for me like within the last year it's it's been insane what i've been mm. able to do with it so soundflow is an automation uh automation tool like keyboard maestro but it allows you to go deeper than just doing macro stuff so you can do that you can build macros of you know chains of key commands but you can also do things like tell it to click on a certain specific ui element and that can be part of your macro mm. so it'll you know find out what the window is It'll look for the specific button that you tell it to look for. It'll wait for those things to appear so you can get pretty intense with it. But you can also write just straight up JavaScript for it. So they built kind of a backend library into Pro Tools that allows you to get really down the rabbit hole. And mm. I went and learned JavaScript because I wanted to be able to go super far with it. And they also have a huge community that's making stuff all the time. And then they can post those freely to an app store that's within Soundflow. 
So I made one recently with Andrew Sheps for Strip Silence and Pro Tools. And Strip Silence, for anybody who doesn't know what that is, basically we'll look at a clip or a region in the timeline. And based on a threshold, it'll find out where there's no audio or at least very low-level audio noise happening in the track. And then you can tell it to strip out any of the silence that's mm. below that threshold. And you can set you know pads on the beginning and end of it and all that. So what we did was we built a script that if if you're a mix engineer and you get a folder full of files, you have clips that happen on your timeline from the start of the song to the end of the song. It's useful if you cut out the silence where there's nothing happening in those tracks and then you can see on the guitar, oh, it's only happening in the choruses on this track. Mm. So when you're kind of looking bird's eye view of the whole session, you know exactly what's happening when. So we built a script that would go track by track and apply your strip silence settings to it and then put fades on the beginning and the end of the clip so you never have any clicks and pops. And this is something I used to do by hand, track by track. I would just go like Same. select track, strip, select track, strip. So our thing will go like track by track and just get rid of all of the silence in the entire session and it's done in like five seconds. It's crazy. That's awesome. So you're yeah. looking at a much cleaner session that visually is just easier to process. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's an example of stuff that's possible with, with Soundflow. And one other amazing one, shout out to Chris Shaw for this one. He built a script that will go through and let's say you're working on background vocals. You can set up your processing for one of those background vocals and then say copy track data and it'll copy the output path, the pan settings, the inserts, all of that stuff. Then you can choose to paste select portions of that track info. So you could go, okay, I've got 10 background vocal tracks. I'm going to do roughly the same processing. So I'll do one of them, and then I'll just paste all my settings to the other one with one button, and I could say, like, only paste the inserts, though. Wow. So it's just really, really speeding up the, the workflow while you're going through I used to hate that when I was producing people, when I was you know recording them in the studio, and I'm doing a little bit of light mixing to kind of so that they know what the final product's going to sort of feel like. Right. And be like, okay, yeah, another back background vocal. Okay, let me get all my presets loaded <laughs> into here. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a tedious process. And I think if you want to be really cold and mathematical and do the calculus here about how do you speed up, whether you're tracking people, producing people, mixing, mastering, whatever it is, it's about minimizing the number of clicks that you have to do. Yeah. That removes friction from the process. And when you remove friction from the process, you got more room for creativity. Yeah. You got absolutely. more room to lean in and make great art and think like an artist instead of thinking like a, um, I don't know what a, what word to use, but, but like yeah. you're, you're a computer user and you get sucked into that world of, of pushing buttons and that's not the point. Like it's the yeah. tool that we use. It's not the thing that we do. Yeah, absolutely. And the simple thing of just having something like Soundflow or, or any of these other programs that when it goes through and does this monotonous task, you stay inside of the music, inside of the mix, a lot easier you're not breaking mm. your flow state and you just get the job done faster so i love that yeah well if people want to get started trying to up their hotkey game if someone came to you and was like hotkeys i only use a mouse what are some <laughs> things that you would advise them to start yeah in the course the very first thing that i said day one was if you're taking your mouse and you're going up to the menu ever that's the last time you do it and when you do it Find out what the hotkey is that's written next to it. and Because most menu items, you click mm. on it, you'll see a hotkey next to it. If you don't, there's some things that we can talk about later on how you could create those things. But if you see it, stop, write down that hotkey. And again, I'm, I'm kind of a recurring theme, but keep a list of those. Mm. You know? And then 
each day when you go in, just take a look at it and try to memorize what those are. So that's your first indication is anytime you're scrolling through a menu or even if it's a right-click menu or something like that, there's probably a hotkey. If not, you could make one for it. That's the first thing is just memorize your hotkeys. First off, you know, before you even dig into some of these bigger programs. Wouldn't it be cool um, if there was an app that would, maybe I'll build this someday, but that would watch your mouse and your keyboard strokes and it would basically say like, hey, you did, uh, you know, command Apple S uh, 47 times on average per project. Or you did this sequence like of hot strokes, you know, seven times. Yeah. And on average, you're doing it seven times per, per project. It'd be really cool if there was something that just was like that 80 20 this for you. It was like, mm. look, these three things, you're using these again and again and again. Maybe you should address these first. And, you know, that comes back to this idea of a system snowball mm-hmm. that uh, this is like a micro system snowball of what can you begin to do in your workflow right now that will save you enough time to find ways to save more time? Right you know, more hotkeys, more systems, more automations. Man, I really think that that's a path forward for everybody. Yeah. To, I'm going to build a system snowball so that I will make more money per hour, and I'm going to do it by figuring out what's the first system I can build that will allow me enough time, energy, or money to build my second system. And with these hotkeys, yeah, they save you time. But I think the deceptive part about hotkeys is that when you first start using them, it requires mental energy, right? Yep. It's a little bit awkward. It's a little bit uncomfortable. It's cumbersome. But as you get faster and faster and faster at it, and like you mentioned before, it becomes subconscious. Mm -hmm. You're not even thinking about it. The speed improvements that you can have in that world are out of control, like beyond your wildest dreams until you actually master that sort of stuff. And I think that's something that we should all be leaning into more. Even, you know, we're using the... We're using this wild and crazy app called Descript to record the podcast. As we talk, it transcribes everything. And when we edit the text document, that edits the audio. And then we can export it to Pro Tools. It's great. And I'm using this app constantly. But I'm also learning, like, I probably should learn more of the hotkeys on this Mm. so that the app starts to disappear. Right. And the work becomes the thing. Oh, man. That's it right there. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And that... That's kind of what I was getting at with the whole thing of not breaking flow state earlier. When the app disappears and it's just about the work. That's the goal. That's huge. I mean, it's huge because I'm I'm sure we're all guilty of this to a degree, but there's definitely times where we're sitting in front of, it doesn't matter, DAW, music production, mixing, mastering. You're thinking about what's on the screen. Yeah. You're not hearing what's happening. And when that goes away and it's just the song, that's when it's like, audio nirvana yeah you know well and there's so many parallels in this like in most styles of music a really great bass player nobody ever comments right nobody ever says like wow that bass player is really good it's like, well if they love the band and the bass player plays in a way that elevates the whole band that's a great bass player same with yep. the drummer yeah i think with most bands if you're commenting wow it's a really good drummer it's probably one of these genres that's a little more flashy yeah but most of the time, it's just it, it become the song becomes the thing rather than that, the uh, instrument or the player. Yeah, 
Yeah, I'm thinking about that viral video of the the drummer that's like playing in a wedding band and he's like, oh, I mean the ZZ Top one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh, I that's freaking amazing. love that guy. Yeah, he he when he starts like taking his drumsticks and like swinging them over his head, but yeah. like slowing it down. Man, he's keeping perfect time. Keeping perfect yeah. time, and then like spinning the stuff around. Yeah, he, it would have been really cool to watch him practice on how to do that because it was yeah. very clear that every um, move he did was subconscious that he right. was just like i want to spin the drumstick so i did right because i've practiced that so much but yeah i mean that dude has very clearly his muscle memory is yeah out of control right like he's every single thing he's doing he's rehearsed yeah like at least in in small small sections right but also if your daw or whatever plugin you're using is doing that then like it's not helping you you know if it's like constantly twirling sticks in your face and right you know, stealing the show yeah yeah well there's there's such a cool moment i think when when a creator a creator's tools disappear mm. and it just becomes about you know what you're actually doing you're not thinking about the tool you're thinking about the outcome mm-hmm. of the work and <sighs> youths <laughs> of the audio industry yeah. pay heed like this this is such an important concept and and to get to a point, you know, when you're in your 30s and 40s and you're trying to, you know, make a living doing this stuff, you either have to be able to command a ridiculously high rate or you have to be efficient enough that people can afford you and you make a solid profit at the same right. time. Right. And being able to get to the point where you don't have to think about going through and getting mouse finger, you yeah. know, from click, 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 drag, click, Mine's drag, all click, forearm. Drag. It's right through here, right, right by the elbow. Yeah, I hear that, man. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah right by the elbow. It was like yeah. right up on the top of a, top of my arm would just get so sore. Yeah. And this is weird. I think it's from lifting the. Oh, it is. I'm touching my arm right now and feeling it. Oh yeah, it's yeah. the muscle that lifts up your finger. Yep. After you've clicked, for whatever reason, like that, that always got wrecked. Yeah. With me. Yeah. And it was. I remember like icing like my right. arm in that spot and just being like, this is stupid. Right, right. <laughs> It'd be amazing if we just had massive fo- like forearms right there. Yeah. <laughs> From like mousing. <laughs> rest of our bodies look terrible, but our forearms are solid. Oh, so, man. That's yeah. hilarious, dude. Well, any other uh, tips or tricks for people that are leaning into trying to become more efficient by using macros and hotkeys and all of these different fancy schmancy tools? Yeah, uh, number one is uh, really just hone in and, and practice those things. Really try to learn what's what's there and what's available first. And then from there, maybe we could talk a little bit about how this extends outside of the DAW as well. Mm. I know for me, some things that I've done recently, this is a combination of Keyboard Maestro and Soundflow. I could do them in either program. I just kind of have them spread out across two. But I use a little box. We've talked about this before, but a little box called the Stream Deck. And that has programmable buttons on it. And on my left of my keyboard, I have one Stream Deck. And then up on my, I have an Avid S1, and that has a 32-key Stream Deck on it. So all of those are program buttons and just to make things go faster. On the left of my keyboard, I have one with folders on my computer that I have to go to 20 times a day. You know, mm. so that's like a projects folder. That's my download folder. It's my desktop, all of that stuff, right? So when I need a new finder window, I'm not hotkeying, you know, command N to make a new finder. I just reach over and hit. It's going to be one of these four buttons, you know, mm. that I need to go to. So I'll hit my projects folder. It opens up, and then I've got all my clients right there. I'm just going or whatever. I'm not navigating inside of the finder to go new finder window. Click on the drive. 
click on the client folder and not mm. doing that stuff. So that's the other part of, of all of this that can come in handy is shortcuts are not just about whatever your DAW is, learning them system-wide and across multiple applications is super handy. Then we can start talking about, now that you know what they are, how do we start using these other programs to expand what we can do with them? Oh, man. This topic I love. Yeah. So you're Let's talking go. about the Elgato Stream Deck. And hilariously, as like a systems nerd, I've never actually used one. Yeah. Uh, I have tons of clients that use them, tons of friends that use them. And one of the things that they say about it that it's so cool is that you can apparently change what the button looks like because there's a little tiny screen behind the button. Yep. So you can set a word or an icon so that you're not... Well, you know, I made F1 do all this stuff, the F key, F1 on my keyboard, yeah. and I either have to print out a label and stick it on my keyboard or remember that F1 does that. With yeah. the Elgato Stream Deck, you can set all that stuff up and visually glance over and be like, which one was it? Oh, yeah, there it is. Bam. So here's a fun one real quick just to stick this in there. With SoundFlow and the Stream Deck, up, the one that's up on my console, when I look down at that, I see a page that's just all of my favorite plugins. So on one part of that screen, I have all my favorite EQs, then all my favorite compressors, mm. reverbs, time-based effects, whatever. That's all right in front of me. And I see the plug-in on those buttons. So when I want an 1176, I just look up, hit the 1176, and it'll pop it onto the track for Wait, me. Wait, you don't open up the UAD folder and then scroll through like 119 <laughs> plugins that you don't own? <laughs> that I don't own, Just yeah, to find exactly. that 1176? You just yeah. push one button and it shows up? You hit one button and it's on the track. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that right. is the type of tip. Yeah. That we need to bring to people on this podcast, yeah. Because that's a that's ninja right there. That yeah. you've got a little button with a picture in eleven seventy six, and when you push it, whatever track you have selected there. gets an eleven seventy six. Yep. Conceivably with presets, like- uh, with a SoundFlow script. So uh, within SoundFlow, I've went and programmed each a script for each one of those that would say, okay, when when this automation's triggered, whatever the selected track is, you're going to go to the first available insert. And then you're going to go into the plugin folder. You're going to find UAD. You're going to find the 1176, and then open that. So it, huh. you know, you hit the button, and then it's like, pop, 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 pop. You see the menus really quick, and then the plugin loads. Fist bump me. It's good stuff. You guys couldn't <laughs> see that, but that, I'm, that makes me so proud of you. Like Thanks. that's that's ninja, yeah, right there. So if you're if you're mixing a song, let's say you're a professional mix engineer, and your normal workflow is click on menus, scroll, 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 click on plugin click on you know parameters or presets or whatever and you do that a hundred times per song right like, yeah come yeah. on yeah. i mean like that immediately right there that's a dope like it's crazy yeah that's yeah. such a dope trick yeah and then i mean you know that's the scraping the surface right because you start coming up with you have chains that you love and you can store those on a button and then you hit the button and boom it's open you yeah know? and then you don't like that one you hit another button it clears all the inserts and then you try the next one. Oh man so. i'm so what I have always done with mastering is I, since mastering is a little less processor intensive than, than mixing, I say that jokingly. Right. It's so much <laughs> yeah. less processor intensive. But I, I would put like a set, you know, group of plugins on the, the master bus, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of them are bypassed that are like, eh, sometimes I use this one on this type of music or sometimes I use this one or I need this one if they, you know, mm. like I, I usually don't like to just as a policy high pass everything and just roll everything off at you know right. 20 30 hertz or whatever a lot of people i guess like to do that like that's what you're supposed to do is to right. make sure your sub bass is like 
gone right. that's that's below audible range but i don't like to do that on a lot of songs yeah. like I'll, I'll feel like i've had a lot of clients ask for that sub feels a little off and i'll just be like bypass the thing that you shouldn't be able to hear yeah and then they love it wow and and it's funny like i'll notice it too especially on mm. um the right pair of headphones the Odyssey LCD uh, X is. Uh, we'll talk about this later. These sitting right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is such a, an interesting workflow to think about. Like, we'll start with no plugins, and then just. I'm gonna go. All right. Well, well LA2A, two A eleven seventy six. This is not in mastering. I would never ever ever do that <laughs> mastering. I love me in eleven seventy six and LA two A, but on a mastering, I've never ever found a reason. Yeah, that it sounds like a way to make it work. Right. On the master bus. Maybe somebody else can. I can't I can't figure that out. But to go through and just have all these buttons and to be able to quickly, you know, get to the point where you are getting the next plug in um, is dope. And one of the things, you know, I that I do in the mastering studio is I have a script, it's an Apple script that runs on every song that comes in the studio. And that Apple script figures out what is the loudest 10 seconds of this song. And I want that loudest 10 seconds to sit at usually i forget what it is it's because it's automated i haven't looked at it in like five years mm -hmm. but i think it's like negative 16 luffs or something like that mm -hmm. that's where i generally so every song that comes in the fader gets adjusted so that the loudest point is about negative 16 luffs fader pre-processor and now all of my plugins that are gain dependent like mm -hmm. a compressor or a limiter my presets are all going to play nicely mm -hmm. in that dynamic range so when I load a plugin on there, it's at least in the ballpark. Yeah, you should never be in a situation, especially as a mastering engineer, where like oh, I put my my compressor on and it just it immediately began to you know rock negative twenty dB of gain reduction, right. which no one's ever going to use. Right. Hopefully. Yeah. On a master bus, it should register some gain reduction to start with. I think yeah. some mm -hmm. people like to have none and they pull the the uh, threshold down. I like to immediately hear at least a little bit, and if yeah. it's especially like one dB. Mm -hmm. And it's just sort of kissing the track, and I can just push a button and it immediately gets there, and I can be like, "Yeah, cool, okay, I'll tweak from there. I'll mess with my attack exactly. release." Yeah, but to start to hear that sauce, yeah, quickly without having to get in there and fiddle, yeah, you know, right, yeah, or like go from this place of you know, it's not, it's not even kind of doing its job. So now I have to like start turning knobs until it does. The important takeaway there, if if it's being lost on anybody, I'm just going to kind of like repeat this. When Chris says start with minus 16 LUFS, that doesn't mean that Chris is saying every everything should be minus 16 LUFS or, or whatever. It's if I do this, then my job is already, you know, I don't know, a percentage of the way started because I'm I'm in the ballpark and these plugins are reacting the correct way. I can gain stage so, much more quickly. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you can tweak it from there. It doesn't mean, like, he's not going to tweak it or, like, he's not listening or whatever. So I just want to, like, reiterate <laughs> that yeah. or whatever. Yeah, it's just getting it to the point of, like, I'm starting, I'm already in the ballpark, and now I can tweak and do my job. Totally. So, and, yeah. you know, I, there's a million different ways to do this. There is no right way. It's yeah. all personal preference it's all about what helps you move faster there's you know there's people out there doing dumb stuff that sounds great every yeah. day yeah and so be it and it's been that way since the dawn of recording music yeah you know and they do well and they do well <laughs> and i think why i like to focus on this and getting my presets up and running right off the bat is it lets me spend more time listening yeah you know when you're Absolutely. fiddling around with your mouse and trying to and 
maybe the song is playing while you're doing it, but it's not actually being constructive. It might as well not be playing. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're in a position where it's like, okay, well, you just wasted three seconds Yeah. after loading that plug in, getting it to the point where it's doing anything. Yeah. Then for you to make a decision of, that's working or it's not working or I need something with more glue to it or I need something a little slower or whatever it happens to be. With this workflow, using the Elgato method that you talked about here, mm. you can just bam, 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 bam. So yeah. if you're pairing a really fast workflow to be able to load your plugins on effectively, and you've got your gain staging figured out ahead of time, mm-hmm. I think that starts to get really interesting. Some people, like, I can't mark, like, tell me when I'm being stupid, because I'm one of these mastering engineers that hasn't mixed in a bajillion years. But I've heard of people trying to do similar stuff to get their gain staging right by using like a really slow auto gain control type mm. compressor mm-hmm. on the front end so that everything sits about where it's supposed to, mm-hmm. but it isn't so fast that you necessarily hear it. Right. So there's a lot of different philosophies to to start to have a system that that automate that automates your um your gain staging. Yeah, there's one called Defaulter. It's not doing any kind of gain reduction thing, but it'll go through and it'll look at the average level of a track. And you could say, I want, you know, it's, if it's my vocal or something like that, and you know basically what you're saying about doing this with a master, you could say, you know, I'm going to go out to this outboard 1176. It wants to see minus 18. So you could open up Defaulter and have it, you know, already set up to automatically use clip gain to put the track at that level so as the rms level so and then going another step further you could take soundflow and say hey i'm going to select all my vocal tracks and i want you to put them all at this rms level and then they're going to be going into these kind of preset chains that i have that's you know and then i'll tweak from there or whatever so there's, there's all kinds of stuff you can do there that yeah that's amazing and uh one like Kind of back, you know, we started with keyboard shortcuts. All of this kind of leads to the same thing. And we'll we'll have to talk about this one more in a future episode. But um, Chris Lord Algae is a good example of this. He has his assistant take a Pro Tools session from a client and then he'll gain stage prep the entire session and also like, you know, how it's going to lay out on the SSL form and all that mm-hmm. stuff. But when he sits down, he's not turning around to adjust the input level of his 1176. Like that's already been done and it's hitting exactly the way that he expects it to. And mm. then he'll go through and dial to taste or whatever, but... It saves a lot of time with 1176. Those things are pain in the ass. Oh my God. It's a gang stage. Uh, you guys can't see it, but I'm <laughs> twisting now. To it's like two. I'm turning this up, one, this yeah. one up, and this one, it's a two-handed it's operation. It's a two-handed twisty. Yeah, yeah. two-handed twisty. That's awesome, man. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people, this is as far as systemization goes, when there's analog gear involved, mm-hmm. it is such a tricky beast because then the, the less standardized you have your gain staging, the more recall matters. Mm. And the more like, you know, we've, I've, we've got friends that have like cameras in their studios to take pictures of, the, of yeah. all the gear and where all the labels are, which is a great system. But right. if you can use, I've never heard of this defaulter thing before, but if you can use something where everything hits at the same volume level i think you can get in most cases to a point especially if you're working only in one genre mm-hmm. or just a, a couple genres where you don't have to actually touch the analog gear right you can do your right. gain staging beforehand that's really the, the rig i've always wanted to have as a mastering engineer mm-hmm. that i'm doing a lot digital in the box but that i've got a couple processes that i never physically touch like i've got them set where i want them mm-hmm. and my AI stuff takes care of the gain staging or you know a plugin mm-hmm. or something so that 
I can turn it down on the way in or I can turn it down or up on the way in or I can turn it down or up on the way out mm-hmm. and not have to worry about like, well, oh, uh, they wanted a revision. I got a recall. Did I, did I do anything? To be in a situation, that's always been the fantasy for me, Yeah, where there's an, some analog processing on the outside that stays very static. Yeah. That you're controlling mostly just with volume. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and all of this again doesn't mean that you are you're not taking the creativity out of it. You're just getting started faster, you know. Yeah, yeah. I love that, man. Well, let's uh, let's call it a day there, man. I think that was a really, really, really good episode. Yeah, we'll um, go further into each one of those programs more in the future because there's so much to unpack. Absolutely. So, yeah. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Uh, if you do like it and you want us to keep making them and make them uh, with any regularity whatsoever, <laughs> yes, uh, please give us a review in the iTunes podcast app. Uh, that's the main place uh, that we get feedback. Or feel free to reach out to us on Instagram. Uh, I am Chris underscore Graham, G-R-A-H-A-M. Mark underscore Abrams underscore audio. Love it. Dude, I also got... On Twitter, I'm I'm Chris Graham now. No way. Just Chris Graham. I'm Mark Abrams, actually. Oh, snap. Yeah. You can reach out to us on Twitter as well. There you go. Awesome. Thank you guys so much, and have a wonderful day.